I'm Mindy Kaling, and you're listening to That's What She Said. That's What She Said, episode 63, Lecture Circuit. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! (laughs) Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero I got you on my mind Just like all the time And welcome to episode 63 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your Human Resources Coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the 14th and 15th episodes of Season 5, entitled Lecture Circuit, Parts 1 and 2, which originally aired Thursday, February 5th, 2009, and Thursday, February 12th, 2009. Good morning, Vietnam. With the Scranton branch booming, Michael and Pam are on an excellent adventure to bring a bit of the old Scott magic to the rest of the company. Meanwhile, Jim and Dwight, newly crowned kings of the party planning committee, struggle to mollify Kelly after forgetting her birthday. Max suggests a theme of horse hunting, Andy strikes out, Angela makes us sick, Creed discovers a new form of currency. Truly, this is the best episode of That's What She Said ever recorded. Am I a liar? Would a liar bring many mounds, bars? Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why did you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? And joining me at the water cooler this week after a lengthy hiatus from uh, from doing the show, it seems like anyway, is my dear friend, our traveling salesman, Kevin Crossman. Kevin, I just got one question for you. Boy, have you lost your mind? <laughs> I have not lost my mind. We're here to talk about the office. But Matt, I want to talk about something very seriously before we get to this. You know, I've been thinking about this episode and how it relates to That's What She Said. And I just want to ask you, I wonder... You know, after Ian left the show, did you get closure? Did we need to take a drive to, to Detroit? Uh, actually, uh, now that you mention it, yeah, if you remember him, uh, and those perfect, no, that's the wrong person. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I have I have moved on, but uh, but still, yeah, we, we, we do need to get him back one of these days for a little bit of closure, Kevin, I have to say. Well, lecture circuit, let's just go into this just a brief bit before we dive into another 90 minutes of fun and excitement here. This was, for the first time ever on The Office, a two-parter that spread apart two different weeks uh, with a to-be-continue screen flashed up. And I kind of mentioned this during the Super Bowl episode, I believe, that this really felt like it should have been an hour-long episode. I think that it actually suffered from being split up across the two weeks. And before we get into that at all, I, I want to say right off the bat that I really, really liked part one of Lecture Circuit a lot. I, I thought the Jim and Dwight stuff was just priceless throughout the two episodes. Uh, we, you know, we've seen them that way before, traveling salesmen uh, and a few other ways where they kind of interact with each other. 
that uh, it doesn't happen very often. I think that when they do it like this, I think it works brilliantly. I liked the Michael stuff at first. I, I did like it. I I had some qualms with the Andy plotline. I, I didn't think it really was all that funny. I didn't think it went uh, really anywhere interesting. And it, it kind of felt like, hey, here we have, now we have Ed Helms as part of the major cast. So uh, we got to think of something for him to do for five minutes during the episode. But um, I, I got to say that I, I think the first part built up a lot of stuff that the second part didn't cash for me. And uh, I'll get more specific on that in a second. But let me just open it up to you then after that long rambling talk there. Uh, what was your take on the lecture circuit? Well, I think that I agree with you that the whole splitting thing didn't really help. And it maybe set some unrealistic expectations, especially about the, ooh, we're going to see Holly in part two. The, the thing that I noticed was, and maybe this was the reason they had to split it and really bill it as parts one and part two as opposed to a single episode was that Ed Helms was not in part two. He wasn't even in the credits or anything like that. And maybe that's why they had to split this as two different episodes. And I don't know, maybe to not pay him for the episode or something like that. Yeah, we had we had the same two A and B plots, and then we had a different C plot in each of these two episodes. I went on record saying I really liked the Andy plot. Um, not perfect by any stretch. One, two, it. three, four unfunny uh, lines in your no, plot line, no. Kevin. <laughs> I really like that. Unfortunately, I think we've talked about the show jumped the shark or not. Well, guess what, everyone? This is when it happened. When, <laughs> you know, ten minutes into part two, when Angela was licking her cat, uh, that's when the show jumped the shark. Oh my! You know, goodness. I'm all in favor of cat humor. I love the cold open on the Super Bowl episode or throwing the cat up in the ceiling. But a cat nanny cam and then coming home and licking the cat's just too ridiculous, even for The Office. <laughs> Well, um, obviously, like you said, you were a bigger fan of the Andy Plowland than I was. I, I, I didn't think it was necessary, although I did like I did like some of the bits from that plot line. Um, I like that, you know, where Stanley says that old thing, have you lost your mind? And then Andy stands right back up to him and says, have you lost your mind? That was a good moment. Um, I, you know, I, I, I liked his I loved in the deleted scene where he goes out to the parking lot with the Sharpie and he's like trying to scribble out his McCain Palin bumper sticker. I thought that was a great, great little visual gag. You know, it was OK. And I, like I said, I didn't think it was great. But yeah, it was it was like solid gold compared to that Angela plot line in the second part. And maybe what was so weird about it was the fact that maybe she was just so chipper and perky. It didn't even seem like the character that we've known and uh gotten used to over these last five years uh, and uh, yeah it was yeah i'm not gonna say it's a jump the shark moment because i think there's been plenty of really silly bits like that i mean the pizza boy kidnapping uh to name maybe mm -hmm. one um there's you know eh, whatever for for a c plot for two or three minutes worth of show it was it was fine but i think what it did do though as far as splitting up the episodes i think what it did is really it interrupted the flow of the show and so especially because of the different Andy plotline and the Angela plotline. I know some people in the chat room were, were wondering, like, was this even the same day? You know, what, what's going on with the same plotline? Because if you think about it, the Michael and Pam plotline, it could have been a different day. I mean, it, I don't know how far it is to drive from these different branches, but, you know, they're making it clear they were staying in hotels, so it could have been another day. The Jim and Dwight stuff obviously was the same day, which if you kind of got, kind of got lost in that a little bit, it... it could have thrown you off for sure and yeah. i think that's why it suffered it definitely would have played much more streamlined as an hour-long episode 
for sure. And I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure why it was done that way, if that was their you know, original Super Bowl episode, but it wasn't approachable enough for the average viewer or, or what the what the whole deal with it was. But let me just go back to a few other things. Like I said, I, I really love the Jim and Dwight stuff. Uh, Michael and Pam stuff, it, it worked and it was okay. And, and that was good. They've been building on that for the last few weeks with, uh, you know, Wallace bringing it up and then mentioning Michael being, in, you know, the savior in the Prince family paper and everything else. So, I mean, that made a lot of sense to me that he would be sent around. My usual complaint, though, of course, is that we didn't get any moments of any kind of insight or quality <laughs> out of Michael. He's the, he's just a total fool the whole time in all the presentations. You'd think that he at least, he, he said, we said this before, that he has many things that he could uh, share with these people. And maybe they're just not translatable. They work for him. <laughs> you know, sugar boobs or whatever, it works for him, but... Just maybe not for the mass audience. I thought a lot of that stuff really did work. If people just have taken the time to be open-minded about hearing what he had to say about uh, sales techniques and having (laughs) to create your own little ways, not ones you probably want to speak out loud, but in your head, if you want to think about someone as sugar boobs and that helps you remember that person's name, that's a good technique that would be very important (laughs) in sales. You know, the the thing I noticed about this episode, especially with the two-part thing, was that not only did we have that to be continued, but then we had the recap from last week instead of a cold open right. in part two, and that was another part where I think that didn't feel very good. Well, ate up definitely ate up two minutes of the episode time. So yeah. Now we were kind of talking about this before we started recording. Call me naive. I don't, you know, I try not to read spoilers, but I I was really excited by that cliffhanger ending from part one, thinking that they were going to go to Nashua and that they were going to have something that, you know, they were going to, we we're going to see Holly again and everything else. Uh, in the back of my mind, of course, I said to myself, well, we haven't heard about her being on the show. We haven't seen anything. Nothing's leaked out about it. So, I mean, really, the chances are they're going to pull some lame switcheroo on us. And that is, of course, what ends up happening. The old, well, she's not here thing. And I thought I was, I, that was very disappointing. And I guess you can say, well, that was my own fault for building it up. And I was just stupid to think that she would be there. But even so, I mean, I thought that was kind of lame the way that that played out. I did like, though, how I, I thought that was believable. I thought his breakdown uh, in the meeting wasn't as ridiculous as I think that you believed it was. Yeah, I didn't really like that. In fact, it was really painful to watch through that part of the episode. Um, when I had a lot of stuff going on this week, I thought, oh my God, am I really going to watch this? I got through that part and then got, you know, the rest of the, the end, end part of that episode was, was maybe a little bit better, especially the stuff with Pam, which really kind of saved it for me. Yeah. But the thing that I noticed, it, this Holly thing, I thought we did have closure when, you know, he left her back at her new house and they drove away. I thought that that was closure. And now we've had a little comments here and there, and I think we as fans have wanted her to come back, but I thought Michael did have closure, and now we've ripped off the Band-Aid way too soon because <laughs> that wound has not healed, and now it's starting to you know, spew some pus or something. <laughs> now we are back in the mode of like, oh my god, it's not over now. What does that mean? And Well, you know, I think, no, actually, to tell you the truth, let me go back to the beginning part of the season, because right after that episode, where they have the big breakup, they came back the very next week, and it just, one of my criticisms of that next episode was that they didn't make any big deal out of it. It didn't seem like there was anything happening. Michael didn't care. He wasn't distraught. He wasn't damaged by it. And I think that this is a nice payoff 
of that, that he obviously, they have set it up that he's been kind of hiding it and he's been repressing it and everything the last few episodes. So I didn't mind that. I thought it was okay. Uh, and I didn't even think it was that uncomfortable. I mean, I, yes, it wasn't, it wasn't the, a grown man on the floor crawling backwards out of a conference room. That was a little awkward and uncomfortable, but I just felt like it so fit in with his total abject sadness. And the way that he played that there, I mean, really, you could see it on his face, see him breaking down and some of those lines you you mentioned, really heart-rending kind of stuff like, uh, does he talk about me? And Mm -hmm. uh, just everything else. And how does it feel? You know, how does your life feel? Those kind of things. I I don't know. That seemed, it worked for me and I bought it. I, I bought into it and it felt, it felt real for me. And I usually don't go in for the wacky totally off the wall awkward humor but i think that worked for me and it worked for uh where michael was at in that in that situation so thumbs up for that i will say i did like the karen elements and the kind of closure on that uh personality within the show i think that that part really did work well and yeah that was a nice i guess, I guess it was a nice moment i i personally couldn't care less <laughs> if i ever saw karen Filippelli again but it was a nice little closure i guess to see that she's moved on with her life now let me ask you a question because we had some debate in the chat room. Was I mean, was her husband just an obvious Jim stand-in, or was I reading too much into that? I think you're reading too much into it. I don't think we got enough details to know whether that's really the case or not. Uh, but he's big and tall and skinny, and and uh, his name is Dan. Three letters. Come on. If his name was uh, <laughs> John, three letters maybe, but <laughs> I don't know. In any case, it's not a huge deal, but. Um, no one really mentioned it or commented on it, so maybe we're just making too much out of it. Yeah, it was okay. I mean, it was fine, aside from the fact that, again, Michael was totally <laughs> disrespected by, by her and everyone in the office, and maybe for good reason. I love how he goes out of there and says, oh, that's a solid B+. Plus. <laughs> uh, God bless him. All right, well, before we get into the clips, Kevin, let's talk about the credits for a minute here. This uh, two-parter was written by... Mindy Kaling, of course, Kelly Kapoor on the show, veteran, veteran of the show, written 15 episodes, uh, including most recently Frame Toby, Night Out, and Branch Wars. Now, one of the things that I brought up to you before we started recording is the fact that a lot of times when you hear Paul Lieberstein or B.J. Novak talk about writing on the show, they, they very specifically mentioned that they really don't like to write for their own characters or they don't think about writing for their own characters. I don't know what to think about this episode because it felt like a big fat, I want to write a big fat Kelly Kapoor part for myself. I mean, is that a fair criticism or am I just being a dick? Well, it depends if you thought that the Kelly Kapoor stuff was well-written or not. I guess if you thought that she sort of forced her way into this episode in a bad way, then yeah, I guess it would be a criticism. I, I don't I don't, you know, I think if you're trying to come up with this idea that Jim and Dwight have, you know, they blow a party and you want to pick somebody who isn't going to just sort of go, well, you forgot, no big deal. Kelly certainly would be someone who would make a big deal about it. Of course, we had this earlier plot point earlier in the season where uh, she was upset that people didn't attend her party. Well, let me talk about, because that's exactly what I wanted to mention, because, yeah, I agree with you. If you want to pick a character, pick a character from the cast, who would probably be the most upset about someone forgetting their birthday? Okay, I buy it. Kelly would probably be the one that would flip out the most. But we just had, earlier in the season, as you said, in customer survey, we had almost the exact same plot line where Jim and Dwight 
forget to go to Kelly's party, and she's mad at them for the whole episode. And it struck me as just really bizarre that they would have the same, almost the same plot line just in the same season in such a short distance without mentioning it. If she would have said something like, first you did that, you know, you didn't come to my uh, America's Got Talent party, and now this, then I think that would have been an okay slide for me. It would have it would have covered it, but it just, I don't know what it is. It's, it, it just, it came across as being sort of, sort of lazy or, or maybe they just forgot or something, or, or I don't know what the case is, but I definitely felt like they could have done that a different way. And the biggest thing, Kevin, the party thing was one thing, all right? Let me get into just nitpicking a little bit about another plot line before we get into the positive stuff. What was the deal with that whole Kelly Kapoor and Juvie thing? It, it, it made absolutely no sense, for one thing, that an employer would have your criminal history as a youth, which is, of course, always it's locked at the age of 18. So how on earth would they know that? Uh, another thing, it just it, it, it seems so weird and out of place like just to give Kelly some business, just to give her something to do. Did we need that with all the other stuff going on in this episode? No, I agree that that's a, a plot point that maybe should have been left for a different time. And I guess it's entirely possible with Toby sitting next to Kelly all these years that she might have said something about this and he might have put it in her file. <laughs> but I guess that's, giving the writers credit for a logical leap that maybe they don't deserve. The worst part about it was that it didn't really pay off anyway. Right. It, it, you know, Dwight discovers this, then who cares? It, it didn't It didn't have any ramifications down the line, and I guess maybe they'll do something with it later, but there was plenty of stuff going on in this episode that, uh, you know, they could have easily substituted whatever that time is worth for something else, I suppose. Yeah, and um, think of the brilliant ending to the customer survey where Kelly and Michael have that moment and she tries to say that she was raped and all that stuff, how that was just so, it seemed like so much better, so much better constructed, so much funnier to me than that, that just kind of went nowhere. I wasn't really sure what the point of it was or why it was brought up other than to have Dwight make a few jokes about making shivs and stuff. Mm -hmm. In any case, well, <laughs> so we'll, we'll keep looking into that, I guess. But uh, episode directed by Ken Quapis, and uh, he has directed 11 episodes, most recently The Job, Gay Witch Hunt, and Casino Night. So uh, he also directed your favorite rom-com from this year. Is that true? Of all the rom-coms I've seen, it's the best <laughs> <laughs> this year. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I know how much you love those rom-coms, Kevin. Uh, I was really into that movie. He's just not into you. <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. So, all right, let's go ahead and get into the Michael Plotline. As I said, I really enjoyed this for the most part here. Now, uh, it starts off with uh, some really nice establishing shots of, of Pam and Michael at the motel. And kudos to the set dressers. There's a whole lot of fake snow this episode, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Dark Hills, California. <laughs> So uh, I'll just let Michael explain what they are doing. I am on a lecture circuit. Apparently, Scranton has the best sales of any regional branch. So David Wallace has asked me to go to all the branches, except Nashua, still a little bit raw there. Um, but I'm going to these branches, and I'm telling them my secret recipe for success, my 11 business herbs and spices in a sales batter. Every magician has a hot assistant and every rock star has a roadie and Pam is my hot roadie. Yeah. 
I love being on the road, but I especially love the time and a half pay, 24 hours a day for three days. Because I have a mortgage now, gotta bring home the bucks. Yeah, don't say bucks, that's not ladylike. Hey, look at what you're wearing again. Pam, have you ever seen a magician's assistant? That's. This is a new cardigan. Kind of blech. Maybe you could tie it around your waist or lose the shirt underneath or something. No. I don't know. I like that setup. I thought that was a decent little plot line, decent setup and introduction there, uh, building on the last few episodes, of course. I like the lines about, uh, you know, it's not ladylike. It kind of these little yeah. knocks that he's throwing it out at her, and and there we get some insight into their relationship. She's uh, she's paying the mortgage, so. Well, you know, I think she was awfully cute in that part of the episode, and in many other parts. And again, I I really do think that uh, Pam's character here saved this uh, plot line for me in a lot of ways. And I agree, lots of cute stuff there, and uh, you know, set up very well. We know what Michael's going to do. He's going to come in and just put on a show. <laughs> and uh, thus the hilarity ensues. Exactly. He's a very theatrical person. Uh, the one thing in here that I want to say, too, about this plotline, I think why I liked it so much, is that one of the other things that we talked about earlier in the season was how Pam was being sort of cold-hearted and kind of mean after coming back from New York. That fancy new New York Beasley was kind of a biatch. And here mm-hmm. she's back to her old sweetheart self, comforting Michael and giving him a lot of, you know, a lot of support and ignoring... A lot of his <laughs> backdoor insults. Uh, and speaking of which, now as they're driving along, of course, they're going to Utica, which brings up a whole other kettle of fish. You nervous about seeing Karen again? Since she was the other woman? Actually, you were the other woman, so. No, that was a long time ago. Is that why you're wearing makeup today? No, I'm not even wearing that much. I hate the idea that someone out there hates me. I even hate thinking that Al-Qaeda hates me. I think if they got to know me, they wouldn't hate me. But Karen knows me, and she still hates me. So I like that line at the end there, and I also like that. Michael's, uh, he's not as dumb as he appears there, with his little makeup comment. That's right, indeed. I I don't think this is in your clips, but I I did like the the part where he needed silence for Sam Kinison. (laughs) Some of our younger viewers may not know Sam Kinison was. He was a very loud comedian. Very funny. <laughs> that was some good stuff there, too, about uh, listening to your, listen to your iPod. No, it's dangerous. Well, let's talk. No, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll just play a song in my head. <laughs> she starts humming along. So there we are. It's all set up with the confrontation with Karen. Of course, the last time that we saw Karen was in Branch Wars in Season 4. And I'm actually kind of surprised that the uh, Utica office they're having this guy come in to give them a speech, the, the, the bumbling fool that was trapped in the stairwell by the uh, copier. Well, you know, it's uh, maybe making amends or something. Or maybe David Wallace said you have to listen to the presentation. Uh, I think it's that mustache. It, it works wonders, Kevin. Just like Clark Kent's glasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, in any case, we get to uh, Utica and we have some more, some nice throwbacks to some previous continuity with uh, good old Rolando there behind the desk. And uh, here we have a big, shocking surprise, which was thankfully spoiled by NBC right after the Super Bowl episode. So thanks again for that, guys. Hello, Rolando. How are you? Uh, You're late. Everyone's waiting in the conference room. Karen will be right here to take you over. Okay. Don't be nervous. Just picture her naked. That's what I do. Steal my trick. Please cut it off. Hey. Hi, guys. 
Oh, my God. Is that Jim's? What? Michael. Of course not. Okay. Wow. Oh, man. My head just exploded. Ooh, thank God for everybody, right? Okay. I, God, sorry, sorry. My head is, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out the last time that you and Jim had sex. And Let's just get this over with, okay. shall we? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, what did you think about that uh, little mental arithmetic there? Did that work for you? I, I can see Michael doing that in his head, even though it's obviously been way, way, way longer than eight or nine months or whatever it's, you know, her pregnancy is, so... Yeah, but in the continuity of television, I mean, as a viewer, do you do you not think there were any viewers that maybe were asking that same question? Well, exactly, and that's why I think that it was fine to have that in there. And again, Michael saying the wrong thing, I guess we'd <laughs> feel bad if he didn't say the wrong thing, right? Exactly. I, I like to use a little confidence there. You know, he's actually giving Pam some support, you know. <laughs> use my trick. Come on, picture yeah, naked. Funny stuff. Uh, classic. Well, it only goes downhill from there so michael's late he's right into the conference room and uh ready to put on a show and unfortunately no one's buying i don't know you but i need to know you in order to sell to you that is why i have asked you to go around and tell me your names i have an amazing mnemonic device by which i have now memorized all of your names shirty mole lazy eye mexico baldy sugar boobs black woman i have taken a unique part of who you are, and I have used that to memorize your name. Baldy, your head is bald, it is hairless, it is shiny, it is reflective like a mirror. M, your name is Mark. Yes. Got it. It works. Uh, it's very insulting. But it works. <laughs> I've taken an essential part of who you are. <laughs> okay, shirty. I don't know. I think it's part of the part of the humor in that scene, of course, is that obviously, uh, as you said, it, it, I mean, it works. It's a trick that works. It works for Michael. Not the most sensitive of approaches, perhaps. No, and, but I, th- I think maybe the issue here is that Karen probably doesn't want to hear anything Michael has to say because of the previous incidents and working with him, of course. She Right from the beginning, she says, let's get this over with. I'm sure she's probably laid in to everybody already. Just sit there, don't ask any questions, just don't pay any attention. But you know what? <laughs> I'm going to say this is not the craziest thing to be thinking about when you're in a sales position. You know, some of the other things he talks about, the, the chainsaw and the chain store massacre, I mean, that <laughs> is stuff that actually is relevant to this company that is, as we know, struggling. So, <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess this 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 is enough of Michael Scott knowing enough about business for me to buy into that uh, in this case. So you you didn't see it as him being incompetent. You just saw it as that they were being a dud audience. He was incompetent in some ways in terms <laughs> of delivering his uh, misunderstood genius, but uh, at the same point, more was on the unreceptive audiences for not really thinking about what he's trying to do. Well, I think you're right there, definitely. I mean, it seemed like he was going over pretty well in Nashua until the breakdown there, so maybe they were just mm-hmm. much more receptive of his theatrical techniques. Yeah, was, I don't know what to make of that. The, 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 didn't have it in the clip there, but he comes in with this big thing about how his father's dead, <laughs> and that I sold you a moment there, and, and you have to believe it, and you know, are you a liar? Well, would a liar bring many mounds bars? Flings them into the audience again. Shades of business schools. An old That's trick. That totally worked for me. But a good it trick. Totally, totally worked for me. 
<laughs> hey, man, I, I I don't know what kind of meetings you've been to, but I, I, people would be scrambling for free candy, <laughs> I, at least in my experience. So as we said, the uh, meeting at Utica does not go over very well. Karen closes it down, shuts everything off, calls Michael into her office to basically, I guess, to see what else he's going to say. And uh, it's uh, it's not very promising, at least from her end. I grab this and I turn it on and I say, prepare yourself for the Utica Chain Store Massacre. No, that, that is incredibly dangerous. No, don't worry. The chain is off. No, it's not. You know, I think I'm just going to distill all of this and send it in an email to my team. Email's not scary. This is an opportunity. Don't don't blow it. So, when are you due? Uh, in about a month. Wow. That is wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. So, how are things in Scranton? How's Jim? Uh, they're good. We're engaged. That's so great. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. I'm so happy for you. Oh, wow. Thank you. Old hatreds dissolve into new friendships. It's really a wonderful moment. A lot of corny call-outs to the documentary, more specifically. Uh, a few other things that I didn't put in there. That one, and of course, Pam talks directly to the cameraman at least twice uh, later in the episode as well. So it's very, very documentary aware. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Michael, of course, the, the, the great host. What a wonderful moment. <laughs> I did like the way Michael sort of jumped into the middle of the camera there with that sort of weird angle close-up like that. I thought that that was kind of unusual and interesting and very Michael Scott. He is the star of the show. All right, well, so as they leave the Utica branch, then Pam is ecstatic, very happy with herself, uh, having gotten this closure with Karen, uh, knowing that she's not a bad person, that Karen's happy, she's happy, everything's wonderful. And uh, Michael maybe could use a little bit of that himself. Are you asleep? No. I'm just thinking about what you said. About Karen, about closure. You remember Holly? She used to work for HR. No, remind me. Blonde hair. Nice boobs. Not too big, not too small. Perfect boobs. Of course I remember Holly. She's the love of my life. What you and Jim have times a hundred. She, she just left, and I didn't. I never got closure, you know. I never got closure with her. I haven't talked to her since. I haven't seen her since. And I feel like I need to go to Nashua and get closure. I feel like I need that. Okay. Let's go. Oh, just off lecture at Rochester. Yeah. Screw them. Let's do this. Okay. And like I said before, that was an awesome cliffhanger. I thought that was a great moment. We got the little bit of take charge new Pam there mixed in with the caring Pam. So best of both worlds. Let's blow it off. Let's go meet her. Let's go see Holly. Let's do our business. Sounds wonderful, Kevin. Well, there was some effective work by Steve Carell in that scene, uh, many parts of this episode, actually. And uh, I agree with you. That was a nice moment. Of course, the cynical person in me said, well, of course, we're not going to see Holly. But, uh, you know, sorry for those people who were fooled. (laughs) (laughs) So you weren't as dumb as I was. You just instantly knew that that was going to happen, huh? Instantly would imply there's some delay. Oh, good Lord. Well, what can I say? I'm a hopeless 
hopeless romantic. I was hoping for the best, and unfortunately, it didn't quite turn out that way. I do like the line in there, though. I like I like the couple of lines that Michael drops in the episode. It's like I have what you and Jim have, except only a hundred times more. <laughs> Right. He was with her for like two weeks or whatever. <laughs> exactly. And then later on, we'll get to this in a minute, but later on in the episode, he, uh, she's trying to comfort him and talk to him about how it was so terrible to come to work when Karen was there. And he's like, yeah, you know, shut up. I'm going through something here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so classic, classic Michael and, you know, kudos to Pam for still being the nice, supportive uh, employee slash friend. So they are off on the road. Here we are now picking up on part two of the episode. Uh, They are off to Nashua, and uh, they arrive. Michael is geeked and excited, and unfortunately, it does not last very long. Is uh, Holly Fox anywhere here? Actually, she's on an HR retreat for the next three days. But if you need to get in touch with her immediately, you could talk to AJ. He's a salesman here. AJ? Yeah, he's her boyfriend. He's just over there. She has a boyfriend. How could she do this to me, Pam? She's not doing it to hurt you. I can't do the presentation. I can't. How? Thinking about seeing him and thinking about him getting to hold her and getting to kiss her. Just Listen, (sighs) when Jim was dating Karen, I didn't want to come to work. It was awful. I hated it. I I wanted to quit, but... Please, come on. I'm going through something. You know, when Holly gets back... Everyone will tell her what a great job you did, and then she'll realize what she's missing. And then she'll move back to script, and her boyfriend will die. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. One step at a time. And that was a great scene. I mean, there's so much to love in that in that sequence there. Like I said, the the line about, hey, I'm going through something here. That was great. Uh, Her comforting him and bringing him back up and, and his kind of just bantering around with that at the end there yeah maybe he'll die really effective i thought it, Carell, he, he sold the scene emotionally without going over the top and again you know, i like the stuff with jenna fisher in there too with a little bit of her backstory we learned a little bit about what it was like on her end with the whole jim and karen situation so good stuff there i agree <laughs> well so after that pep talk then michael is all geared up all set and ready to go and give the best damn performance he can give. And again, like I said, unfortunately, uh, it doesn't quite play out that way. You're a salesman. What's uh, what's your name? AJ. Tell me, AJ, are you dating? Is there somebody you date? Yeah. Why are you interested? <laughs> so you're dating somebody. Is it serious? It's pretty serious. Yes. <laughs> Does she ever talk about me? Oh, God. Excuse me? Well, what does this have to do with sales? It's all connected. Shut up. Does she ever mention Michael Scott? No, what are you talking about? Does this feel good? Does what feel good? Your life. Michael, get off the floor. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do this, Pam. Just read. Just read the card. No, no, no. Michael, you have to do it. Oh, no, no, okay. I'm all right. Uh, we went into this a lot before. I, I still think that scene worked very well. I totally bought into the fact that that was something that would really hit him like a hammer and that that would be something that you know he might do he might be on that floor and crawling out so i thought that was i still enjoyed that scene i think it was very redundant from the previous one that we just played because he already knew that they were going out okay it's serious like what what additional information did did this punch him in the gut for i, I don't think i didn't buy that and i just found another bone to pick 
He's he's never heard of Michael Scott. She hasn't mentioned him at all. There's no reason to have mentioned him with the fact that she got transferred back from Scranton. This never came up. Oh, well, come on. She might not be proud of the fact that she was having an affair with her boss and, and got moved forcibly and everything else. So, I don't But know. it's never come up? And no one in the other, you know, none of the other people in the office, well, hey, do you know why she came back? I mean, that's completely unrealistic. I mean, even for the office. Oh, man. You're nitpicking. You're nitpicking, Kevin. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't know. I I still think that scene worked for me. And it, I, it, it does matter. It, it does make a difference because if they're just dating, if they're just casually dating or whatever, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I think that is much more of a of a punch there. If it's just a fling, if it's just something like that, then it's, hey, she's just making time while I'm not around. If it's something serious, then it's much worse, much worse for him. So, But what does that mean, we're serious? If he'd said we're living together or we're engaged or something like that, I think that is a kind of a different deal than we're serious. But exactly, though, that's Michael's mind. He's all, think of all the possibilities that he that was running through his mind at that point. He uh, probably imagined all of those things when he said that. Uh, I don't know. Like, like I said, it, it, worked, right. it worked for me, and uh, I think it led into <laughs> one of the – Maybe funnier scenes of the show with Pam trying to continue on with Michael's presentation. That was weird, huh? I'm just trying to bridge the gap between what just happened and the fact that I'm going to be doing the rest of the presentation. Sales is like a box of chocolates. You never know which vendor you're going to get. Forrest Gump? Laser. <laughs> Freckles. Penguin. Katie Lang. Holly's boyfriend. These mnemonic devices help to make a connection and then also to help you memorize names. I have a chainsaw. Cutting down the competition. I think I'm uh, uh, spiking on the cuteness meter over here, Kevin. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> very, very cute. Well, it's, you know, it's funny because she's probably heard the presentation now a million times, so she can recite all of this by rote. So, yeah, uh, she still sucks at it, though. <laughs> uh, well, somebody the, mentioned the that in the I, chat room. I think that she they, they were disappointed that she couldn't step up, but I don't know. I think it, it's actually pretty realistic. I don't. She doesn't have that same charisma. She's not a salesperson. No, exactly. She hasn't stood up in front of people before, so that's that makes sense. I, I I just love the whole Forrest Gump it reference, just the way Carell always delivers one of those pop culture references. I think it was perfect. <laughs> so, again, it does not go well. And I love that scene then when they leave. The next shot, they show them in the parking lot. And, and Pam says, don't look up, don't look up. And he looks up, of course, and everyone's standing there at the window watching him. Um, we get a bunch of physical business in there that really didn't have any sound to it. And let's talk about that. Michael, after he freaks out, you know, goes wandering around the office, finds Holly's cubicle, takes the scissors and cuts the arm off of her sweater to uh, to take with him as a keepsake, bumps the computer desk, sees the Ed Grimley wallpaper. You know, I, I, again, I thought Steve Carell's emotional acting in that scene was, was pretty spot on. Uh, yep. And he spies on her desktop on the computer he sees a Microsoft Word file that uh, says "Dear Michael" on it. So, of course, out comes the thumb drive. And for a second there, I thought I was watching an episode of Twenty Four or something, Kevin. Yeah, it was awfully convenient that he had that thumb drive in his pocket. I mean, Michael Scott, not always Mr. Technical there, but 
<laughs> All right. I guess I can go with that. So that leads us into this next part of the episode and a big debate. I'm going to ask your opinion on this in a second. As they leave, they drive away, of course, and we have a nice, nice kind of ending scene with the two of them at a diner. Uh, and Michael really confesses to Pam what he's done. I went through all these things. What? I stole a sleeve of her sweater. Oh, Michael. I also stole something off of her computer, a document called Dear Michael. You did what? I shouldn't have done it. It just, I couldn't help it. I'm going to read it. No. Yes. No, under no circumstances can you read that letter. It's a violation of her trust. How? Because she didn't know, send it to you. I know, I know. You're right. You're right. I could read it. Go get your laptop. Okay. What? I'm not in love with her. Like I said before, there's that kind of direct shout out to the camera. Also earlier when she was driving to Nashua, she made some bad joke. <laughs> About uh, having to have cross-country skis or something to get there. It's like, hey oh, I've been driving too long. <laughs> she also had some looks. She had some sort of season one style looks to the camera in this episode. That sort of like pathetic, kind of feel terrible looks uh, as well. That sets up then the dilemma there. I liked in that scene, though, I liked how they wrote Michael. It's a little line. It's a little thing. And maybe, again, maybe I'm making too much of it. But he... When she says it's a betrayal of her trust, he says, how? And that's like a typical, oh, Michael's an idiot sort of line. But then he turns it right around. Like, oh, I, I know, I know, I know. Sort of, I, I don't know. I like that line, I guess. Yep, very important. I agree. So here we go. Michael goes and gets the laptop. Pam takes the thumb drive, puts it in, reads the letter, and delivers the following message. She still has feelings for you. She said that? Is that what it said? What did it say? I can't tell you specifically, but it's not over. You sure? <laughs> okay. I feel great. So good to have closure. We should go apologize to Roy or something. No, we don't need to do that. Who have I wronged? Oh, oh, what about that fat guy from Stanford that I insulted? We should find him. You mean Tony? Jabba the Hutt, Pizza the Hutt. Fat guys like pizza, pepperoni pizza, pepperoni Tony. Oh, Michael. Man, was he fat. So, so fat. You know what? Forget it. I know me. When I saw him, I would never be able to apologize to him. Too fat. Big fat fatty. <laughs> I love that line. I think the reason why I love it is because I'm just, uh, it's a nice throwback to season three. And I just remember in that scene where Michael and, and Dwight are trying to lift him up on the table. <laughs> and he's got that line where he's like, oh, I got one of his ham hocks. <laughs> They're hoisting him up and everything. So, uh, poor Tony. That was, well, and then it, I love the, the demonstration of the mnemonic device there, Pepperoni Tony. Perfect. <laughs> now, uh, so you had a, a debate there about the letter? Yeah, let me let's get into this because I actually in the chat room people were talking about this that was Pam lying to Michael? That's the question, I guess. Uh my thought originally was the fact that I didn't think that she would lie to him because lying to him would just give him more fuel to the fire to go off and do something stupid. Uh, and I yes. felt that she would just tell him the truth because that way, if it's true, it's the truth. But if she lies to him and says, yes, there's still hope and all this other stuff, then he's going to do something crazy. 
And right. But looking at her, I mean, looking at the scene more closely, uh, when Michael says, what does it say? What does it say? Does, is it, she still have feelings for me? He's like nodding his head. Yes. And really looking pathetic. And you can sort of see on her face that maybe maybe she tells him what he wants to hear. I don't know. So uh, how did you take it? How did the people in the chat room on your side take it? Well, I don't know. Based on what you just said, I might have to go back to the videotape on that one. But I, my reaction certainly was not that she was lying, that she that there's no like you were just saying, there's no benefit for her because she's only going to get dragged into some antics of his if he thinks he's got a shot with her or something. So um, I agree. Telling the truth would be the way to, to way to do it. Um, you know, she deleted the letter supposedly. It wouldn't surprise me to see that letter come back in some <laughs> fashion. So we will see. Well, here's another interesting point that uh, someone brought up to me, though. It, she did have a reason to lie, at least sort of, because Think about this. If she broke Michael's heart, she would have to drive home with him for another six, seven hours. I suppose. Then, on the <laughs> other hand, they could have like, well, it's too late. We have to get a hotel, and she has to get another, you know, twelve hours of <laughs> double time or something. Yeah, I suppose. All right. Well, that is a debate that will rage on. I'm sure that is going to play out because, of course, we've been hearing the rumors that this will somehow come back in the finale. They've been trying to get Amy Ryan back, and whether that happens or not. We'll see. I also had something spoiled to me this week, and I'm not sure if I'm going to bring it up, but uh, it has something to do with Michael and Dunder Mifflin and kind of a building to a head some of those things that we've been mentioning all season as far as him being upset and, and disgusted and angry about the way that things have been going. So I didn't look into any of the details there, but um, you know that still definitely could be one of the ways that the season plays out. All right. I think he went right to the edge without spoiling it. And as you've had bad experiences with spoilers, we know what that can mean. So <laughs> good good job there. All right. Walking the fine line. All right. Well, that does it for the Michael plot. Let's go ahead and go into the Dwight plot line there. Uh, what do you think about that word, Dwight, Kevin? I think it has a nice ring to it. Dwim. Dwim is the word you should be using. Oh, that is horrible. Horrendous. I will never use Dwim as long as I live. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, whatever. It's the worst, it's the worst word ever. <laughs> it's a pretty bad sounding word, I have to say. Well, we've already talked about in the opening segment that I really thought this was a very big, very, very big highlight of the episode. Uh, Dwight and Jim working together, we do not see this ever enough, as far as I'm concerned, on the show. Maybe that's why it works, is because we're used to seeing them at odds so often that uh, when they get together, it's just like... <laughs> It's like a little old bickering couple. I mean, it's such a <laughs> such an amusing relationship. And it's just it's not the stupid, crazy, super jock do anything kind of Dwight. It's not the super weird, freaky, crazy shrewd stuff Dwight. It's more along the lines of just, you know, having to work with that obnoxious coworker and I think it really works so well in this episode. Some great stuff. Well, and of course, uh, the party planning committee has been something that's been a big plot line, and uh, now we have another couple guys to get a shot <laughs> at it. And uh, you know, this is office humor, so let's go. I think this is great. I agree. All right, so let's uh, let's go ahead and introduce this plot line. Hey, Kelly. Screw you. Whoa. What was that all about? You forgot her birthday. It was yesterday. Go ahead. You do it. Okay. I insist. Basically, after Phil's blackmailed Angela, 
Michael asked them both to step down from the party planning committee because there was too much drama. What he said was Easy. there was a problem with having one head of the party planning committee. She becomes too powerful, so he appointed two heads. Party planning? Damn, this is literally the stupidest this thing I've ever done. humiliating. That's on my side. So this is fun. My birthday was yesterday, and everybody forgot. I think sometimes people are really mean to the hot, popular girl. So that talking head, that was probably one of the most brilliant scenes of this entire season, I have to say. I love that. No, great stuff. And uh, once again, we're treated to the pleasure of Phyllis being a bitch uh, about the uh, whole situation there. With, oh, you forgot. And the way she says it, too, I really am. She's starting to really annoy me. So well, she's, in face she's sort of but, like the, uh, I don't want to say this, kind of like the the uh, chorus or the person that's sitting there watching. She's in a bunch of scenes like this where they fail and they kind of like pan over to her and she says something. I don't know. I, I know you thought that... Uh, it was just evil and rotten of her, but I, I don't know. I, that was kind of funny that she's just none of neither of them want to see their party planning jobs taken away, so they're not happy with Jim and Dwight. Although I gotta say, because of that kooky Angela plotline, she just really doesn't interact with this story at all, which you'd think would be a natural. It'd be kind of funny to uh, to see that. We do get a little bit of it in the deleted scene, but um, I think she was definitely missing, and I really could have done well without that whole cat plot line. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of her and uh, Phyllis ganging up, that would have been made for a much better C plot line than the cat thing, that's for sure. Or doing a kind of a tug of war or something, like Phyllis trying to influence them and then Angela trying to influence them and, and going back and forth. I don't know, maybe that's too too trite or too predictable, but uh, like I said, <laughs> anything would be better than the, the licking of the cats. So Jim and Dwight finding out now that they've upset Kelly have uh, gone in the back annex to try to see what they can do to make things right. And Kelly is not making it easy for them. We just want to make it up to you. What can we do? I guess my only wish would be that nothing so terrible would ever happen to anyone else ever again. Oh, God. Okay. In a way, it's good that it happened to me because at least I can bear it. What kind you of cake I'm... do you want, imbecile? Ice cream. Are you kidding? Well, I'm not done yet. You haven't blown them up enough. Why have you chosen brown and gray balloons? They match the carpet. What is that? It is your birthday period, statement of fact. Not even an exclamation point? This is more professional. It's not like she discovered a cure for cancer. I can't believe how bad this looks. Are you trying to hurt my feelings? Because if so, you are succeeding. Fortunately, my feelings regenerate at twice the speed of a normal man's. Okay, good then. Have you collected the money from everyone? I am working on it. How much do you have? Six dollars. That's how much you and I contributed! Damn it, Jim! I said I was working on it. <laughs> I love that scene. I love that scene so much. Uh, that whole... This is why I really liked the first part of the episode so much. That that was just priceless with... <laughs> you know, Dwight, you hurt my feelings. Unfortunately, my feelings regenerate at twice the speed of a normal man. Uh, just everything in there, the, the half-inflated balloons, the pathetic little streamers. Uh, the fact it, that Jim can't collect more any money from anybody, I mean, it's like the blind leading the blind. It's hard yeah. to tell who's doing a worse job. Exactly, and that's why this worked so well, that they're both idiots. They both suck. And so it wasn't now, just let, one person. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the deal with Dwight and blowing up balloons? Shouldn't he have, like, some big lung capacity from his German stock or something? You'd think. Like, what maybe, the hell? 
Maybe Dwight's a, a closet smoker back on the farm. Uh, I don't know. I was I was saying this before. I mean, what happened to if you remember from Goodbye Toby? There was a lot of shots of Phyllis with this plastic balloon inflator pump thing. So maybe she took it home with her. It was her own private property. But <laughs> Dwight sure needed to pull out. That was pretty pathetic. So that leads into another great scene where Jim is trying to get everything put together, trying to get a cake for Kelly, and they know literally nothing about her. Dwight Schrute. How old's Kelly? Who is this? It's Moe's. Who do you think it is? Moe's doesn't know how to use a phone, so joke's on you. Look, I'm at the supermarket, and they only have numbered candles. How old is she? Uh, 24. 37. Do you think I'm calling you for your best approximation? I'll call you back. I have here Kelly Kapoor's personal and confidential file. Allow me to share. Kelly Kapoor spent April 1995 to December 1996 at Berks County Youth Center. Juvie. According to past employers, it in no way affects her job performance. Blah, blah, blah. And we've already talked enough about that plot line. I just think it was really, really pointless. Uh, although I do want to say a couple of things in there. I love, again, I love the interaction between the two of them, the bickering, uh, the numbered candle thing. And then the, I guess the irony is that he never, if you see the cake at the end, he actually didn't ever get any candles. So I'm not sure what he was doing during that uh, during that trip. I think he gave up. Now, of course, we, we know Kelly has her own Twitter account. So it, Jim should have been smart enough to figure out that she has a Facebook profile and gotten her birthday from that. But I guess, Well, I mean, Dwight looked you know. right in the file <laughs> and still didn't get the date <laughs> and uh, still didn't get the spelling. That was the thing that got me. I don't know how they couldn't know. <laughs> they couldn't look up anywhere in the office to see how her name was spelled. Yeah, in the email directory, you know, the first name is never shown there, right? <laughs> so that's the whole thing. You know, that whole Juvie thing just really didn't go anywhere. Pretty lame. Uh, when it comes back, when Jim comes back from the grocery store, having bought the ice cream cake, he is treated to Dwight harassing Kelly back in the annex. What the hell's going on? Why don't you tell Jim where you were from ages 14 to 15? I was kicking up. In Juvie. What? Juvie. Nile. Detention Center. What did you do? My boyfriend dumped me. So I stole his boat, and it was the worst year of my life, and I can't believe that you guys are making me talk about this on my birthday. I thought you said yesterday was your birthday. Hey, you know what? I got you a cake. You did? I hate it. How do you hate it? It's a cake. Well, there's no flowers or toys or, I mean, there's nothing on it. I mean, it doesn't have my name on it. Do you guys know what my name is? My name is Kelly. Right. I forgot if there was an E between the L and the Y. I still don't know. I mean, I, I don't even know what the theme is. What's the theme? Bird frosting. Those aren't themes. There's always a theme. There's always a theme. Nice job on the cake, bozo. Okay, you know what? Next time, I'll let you get the cake, and I get to scream at the birthday girl. <laughs> there's Phyllis again at the end there. The little, there's always a theme. <laughs> I love that. Just, what's the theme? Frosting. <laughs> birthday. That being said, how dumb does Jim have to be to bring back a cake that is plain white? I mean... <laughs> Uh, some balloons on the cake? So the cake is a dud. It's a no-go there. Jim and Dwight then are forced to push the party date back a few more hours in order to, uh, you know, come up with a theme and try to solve something. And 
Uh, Dwight is not using his time as wisely as Jim would like. Okay, so all we need is a theme and cups and ice and punch and cake. Busy. Hey, what's that show that she's always talking about? Oh my God, is this how you are with Pam? Because she must want to shoot herself in the face. You know what? I could use a little help. You know what? I'm a little busy. We have a lot to do, and you are putting up a very effeminate sign. Is that what you've been doing? It's making not effeminate. It's festive. You've been making that sign for something that we could just announce to the whole office. Hey, everybody, the party's now at three. I know, I just read it on the sign. I love that. You're making that effeminate sign. It was a pretty good sign. I have to give Dwight credit. Yeah, considering his uh, It Is Your Birthday period printout, I mean, he really picked up the game here in part two. Well, time is ticking away, and they're not coming up with any ideas. They sit down in the conference room one more time uh, for a little brainstorming session there to uh, to talk about things that they like, things that they would want to see at somebody's birthday, you know, at their own birthday party. And, you know, again, the the list they come up with, not uh, not quite something that might appeal to Kelly, I don't think. Okay, so far... Our ideal party consists of beer, fights to the death, cupcakes, blood pudding, blood, touch football, mating, charades, and yes, horse hunting. You're right. Forget horse hunting. It's stupid. Is there a birthday that you remember that you loved? Here's one. It was dark, warm, wet. A sudden burst of light. An intense pressure like I'd never felt before. Father, dressed in white, pulls me forward. Mother bites the cord. Hey, stop. Forever stop that story. That's disgusting, and it doesn't count. So give me another one. Shoots and celebrate birthdays, idiot. It started as a Depression-era practicality and then moved on to an awesome tradition that I look forward to every year. So, Kevin, I know you love the <laughs> Schrute business. Now, did you uh, get a kick out of that line? I know. I have to say I did kind of get the kick out of that whole bit with the, the birth and everything else. Uh, maybe maybe because we haven't had too much of that lately, I, I'm being nostalgic about a little bit of that Schrute goodness. You're a pretty big hater on all that wacky shrewd family stuff. So, was it different? Was it played a little more straight, a little less ridiculous this time, or I don't know? I thought it was Maybe interesting. More ridiculous. <laughs> it was an interesting line. It's kind of funny, like how Dwight says it's, it's a tradition I look forward to every year. Exactly, not tradition. <laughs> look forward to not celebrating my birthday. All right, uh, and then of course we get Jim, some little backstory into Jim's family and about his seventh birthday and going to New York City and everything else. And <laughs> Dwight telling him that the Triceratops dinosaurs he liked were the lamest dinosaurs ever, which again, as Jim says, didn't uh, didn't see that one coming. Well, that is pretty much it. All that's left is for their one final attempt at uh, at pleasing Kelly and so they call her into the conference room and uh, really pray for the best this doesn't look good what? you have a cake you have a delicious cake with your name spelled correctly? told you you haven't heard our theme though you don't hear a theme you see it why is there a chiclet on my cake? that's the best part that represents a pillow or a television. Our theme, if you will. Because the fun part is you get to decide on an hour of television or an hour of napping. That's our theme. Cool. Yeah? I love it. Oh, yes. Okay, good. So what's it going to be, Kapoor? You know what? I have been watching TV all week. I choose nap. All right. Okay, nap it is. Everyone out. Get out. We're going to be eating cake at our desks. 
Let's go. Right. Move it. Good for you. And happy birthday, Kel. <laughs> Thank you. You've got one hour. Too excited to sleep. Hmm. Great cake. Nice. Birthday time is over. Now go make up for all the work you missed when you were taking your nap. Any happy returns. Now there's a nice uh, capper there at the end. I don't know if that ties in with the Super Bowl clip that we played last time, but Dwight gives her a little ass pat on the way out the door. Now, this is to me, I don't know, this this scene was sort of where the I think the episode went a little bit off the rails. I mean, did you didn't it it just seemed so ridiculous to me to a certain degree that uh, you know she's sitting there she's all excited and then she's you know wrapped up in a blanket under the table and then Dwight comes out with this big garbage can lids and wherever those came from I have no idea but I don't know it's I think that's what what soured me just a little bit on that plot line. Well, but that's typical Dwight that he instead of just you know net, gently. You know, come on, Kelly, your one hour is up. He's going to come in and beat Dwight. I mean, that's kind of what you'd expect. Well, sure, but where did he whole... even get metal garbage can lids from? He probably has them in his trunk of his car. Come on, <laughs> Matt. What are you thinking? Uh, that whole that whole end of the episode really worked for me. The whole, you know, pick TV. Kevin's, like, lobbying for TV because TV at work is the best. And Creed, you know, there's nothing good on right now. Oh, <laughs> so that was Stanley. Line. Creed wanted to watch the Bonnie Hunt show, actually. Oh, that's right, yes. <laughs> We we didn't even talk about earlier the Creed, uh, his $3 George W. Bush $3 bill that he gave to Jim. Right. So well, that, comes was, at, that was actually the ending of the episode, the, the last scene. Yeah, there were little bits here and there that were, that were good. I, I did like that ending there, and I thought, you know what? I've never been to a birthday party where you get to choose TV or a nap <laughs> at work. So congratulations to Dwim for such a great theme. Oh, well, I think Dwight pulled it off pretty well you know what though i like this scene of course the little that little nice little bonding scene at the end where they're sitting there eating cake together you know kevin though i am reminded of uh, a nice little episode i like to call goodbye toby where dwight poo-pooed eating baked goods eating brownies because they were just lumps of fat and lard or whatever he said and he was eating jerky instead i'm glad to see he's mellowed out maybe the, the ice no man can resist the ice cream cake well, he t- he didn't he say something like good cake like he'd never had it before almost or something. <laughs> so maybe Jim is teaching him new things. There you go. So <laughs> an end of a great plot. Let's uh, I, I want to see more of that team up. I think that's solid gold. See more absolutely more Jim and Dwight in the future. All right. Well, that all that does is leave us with our two C plots, Kevin, or perhaps D or E or F plots, <laughs> depending on your point of view. Um, this uh, stuff we already talked a little bit about, this Andy and Angela plot lines. Andy plot line, definitely the better of the two. And I'll let him introduce the situation here. Stanley brings in a new client, and Andy cannot resist. Um, Phyllis? Who's that? She's out of your league, Andy. For your information, I've been with lots of beautiful women. Sexually? This conversation is over. I am single now. What we have here is the ultimate smackdown between the Nard Dog and crippling despair, loneliness, and depression. I intend to win. 
good luck on that one, I gotta say. <laughs> so again, there's Phyllis <laughs> giving another zinger in there with uh, <laughs> sexually. <laughs> this conversation is over. Yeah, you know, he said something like, uh, I've been with lots of people, women. That might play into some of these uh, theories about Angie being gay. But in any case, I, I like the setup. I thought the, uh, whatever the uh, the client in this case, I thought she was cute, you know, good choice. And, um, start, you know, th we've talked about Andy trying to get back on the bike and do something different after the breakup with Angela. Well, let's go. Let's bring it on. Yeah, this is the first time that we've actually gotten a lot of direct references to that. Uh, in this plotline, of course, with Andy in that speech there, and then later on with Angela talking about the ring, uh, which is mm -hmm. just horrendous, a terrible, evil, rotten thing, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute. So Andy <laughs> is smitten with this new girl and goes out of his way to uh, use all of the Nard Dog tricks. He goes down to the parking lot, looks in her car window, <laughs> trying to see if he can get any movement, you know, any, any little secret tricks. Uh, from that. I, I gotta say, I thought that whole bit with him going down there was genius, and the way he bumped into the cars and alarms went off, the great physical comedy from Ed Helms, and, and then we get the payoff that I loved. <laughs> Brought you guys some coffees. Stanley, I know you have adult onset diabetes, so I put Splenda in yours. Let's see, how many did I put in there? One, two, three, four, Splendors in your coffee stand, and none in yours, Julia, because I don't know how you take it. Are you out of your damn mind? Are you out of your damn mind? You bring an angel like that into this office, and you don't even set me up with her. We're not friends. I didn't think about it. We are friends. Stanley, we're friends. And you let me down. You really like her, huh? Yeah. I really like her with all my heart. Give me two clients for her. <laughs> so Stanley, I like, I love, of course, his classic mercenary ways. Give me two clients for her. Uh, he knows what he's doing, man. So there you go. Uh, he, he, spy, he spies what kind of CDs she has in her dashboard and uh, and pulls out the probably the most labored <laughs> song reference attempt uh, I've ever seen. But it's still funny. Uh, very, very funny. And again, that's, uh, for, with Stanley there, it's low risk to him. He loses this one client, but he's going to get two of Andy's, so it's going to be a good deal regardless. <laughs> and like I said, I, I did love Andy's, uh, you lost your damn mind, stand up there. You can tell the Nardog is willing to fight that battle against crippling loneliness if he's willing to stand up to, to Stanley. So good for Absolutely. you, Andy. Now, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> after he gets the blessing there from Stanley. Uh, Andy really does not know which way to turn. He finds out that she doesn't have a boyfriend, and so he's desperate, desperate for advice. Guys, stop everything. I'm about to ask out this girl, and I'm completely panicking. Oh, my desk is over. This gal, she's really into you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen her like three times today, and we love all the same music, and whenever I walk into a room, she totally looks up. I... I Say no more. So, this is how I got squeaky from. No small talk. Just show her who's the boss. Just go right in and kiss her. Okay, it sounds risky. Have I ever steered you wrong, Jim? Wait, what? <laughs> I feel like we've heard that joke before, but it still was funny to me that uh, the last thing with Creed not knowing who who these people are. So, uh, 
still still a good line. Uh, <laughs> probably the worst advice you could ever get. So I don't know. I, I'm guessing Andy is just in a very desperate state of mind. But I love Oscar's business too, where he just gets the hell out of there. Doesn't want to talk to him. So I guess Andy really doesn't have much choice. You know, the one the one line in there that I really enjoyed, I like that <laughs> when he says that. Uh, yeah, dude, she's totally into me. She like totally looks up when I come into a room. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so the Nardog is in some very desperate straits, uh, as we can see, especially to be taking advice from such a poor source. Uh, that only leads to one thing. Now, he tries to, you know, kind of smooth talks her and, and offers to walk her down to her car and, uh, you know, makes his move. And unfortunately, it does not go quite the way he wants. What the hell? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought we had this energy, and I'm a mess, and I just had my heart broken, and you came in today, and you're so pretty. You're, like, incredibly pretty. I just pretty. got out of a relationship, too. It's really hard. Yeah, right? Wow. Do you want to talk about it? Go to a mall or something? Just no, walk around? I don't think so. Sure, yeah. That's, you're right. I'm going to be in touch with you in three months. I'm going to call you about that order, and maybe about that mall walk. Okay. Take care, Julia. Thank you. Sorry I tried to kiss you. We lost the account. That was a nice ending there, <laughs> a nice little capper on that, uh, you know, the beat, and then the, yeah, we lost the account. Made you think that maybe they were going to connect or something was going to happen, but, uh, oh, well. I did really enjoy this Andy storyline. I know it wasn't the greatest, but uh, it worked for me. Yeah, it, uh, like I said, There are some gems, and compared to the next one, comedy gold. And speaking of which, in part two, then, replacing the Andy plotline is the Angela C. plot, and I'll let her introduce that. Angela, you're more chipper than usual. I am proud to announce that there is a new addition to the Martin family. She's hypoallergenic. She doesn't struggle when you try to dress her. She's a third-generation show cat. Her father was in Meet the Parents. Needless to say, she's very, very expensive. How much? $7,000. For a cat? I could get you a kid for that. Where'd you get that kind of money? I sold Andy's engagement ring on eBay. Wait, you didn't give it back? He wouldn't have wanted that. Her name is Princess Lady. Seven grand. Mm -hmm. I gotta see that little bitch. I have something better than a picture. Come on. You have your cats on nanny cam. Yeah. Anyways, I just want to make sure Princess Lady is acclimating well. She means more to me than anyone. Any cat, you mean? And person. So, there we go. I I mentioned this before. It felt so weird seeing Angela acting more like the actress Angela. Very smiley and happy and, and wonderful and everything else. It was so unusual that it just felt... That's another reason maybe why this plotline just felt off to me. Yeah, well, and she's trying to cope with the breakup in her own way, uh, misguided, uh, $7,000 for a cat. Uh, <laughs> although, you know, Mr. Jinx was pretty talented to meet the parents. But, yeah, see, the sad know, thing is you even know who that is. I was going to say this is the frat pack cat connection there, but yeah, oh, but, good Lord. <laughs> but you, made, you made reference to it earlier. Not giving back the ring is awfully, awfully bad. Not a good choice by anybody, uh, especially when you're the person who is cheating in the relationship. Well, you know, he wouldn't have wanted it that way. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't buy that. I, I did like the stuff with Meredith in this plot line. You know, that got to see that little bitch and the whole 
reference to maternity leave there. Yeah, I had my stuff. second kid to get a year vacation or whatever. It was just, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, classic classic Meredith stuff. And this, I guess it's fine. She's not overbearing uh, and, and just enough. little little seasoning in the stew. Uh, this next clip, I mean, this is really kind of where this plot line starts to get a little funky, Kevin, a little out there. Uh, as they're trying to do their work, Kevin and Oscar hear a something strange coming from the nanny cam. Is that what I think it is? Good God. Oh, that one ugly cat is humping Princess Lady. No! Awesome. Stop it, Mr. Ash! Bad cat! That is very bad! You stop it right now! I swear, he is fixed. I know fixed. That ain't fixed. No way. No, now listen, you can't let what you see here sully your image of them. They are good, decent cats. <laughs> I gotta go. I'll be back in an hour. Oh, stop that! Oh! Oh, the other one's watching. <laughs> I mean, that is funny. I just hear this funny. Just, just think about this, Kevin. It's, it's somebody's job to be the cat wrangler on this show, to get two cats positioned <laughs> on screen as if they are humping each other and making that noise. It's, it's quite every little boy's dream of Hollywood, I think. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, you know, I guess... People do have these nanny camps for their pets. I guess this is some sort of statement about the society we live in. Uh, I don't know. What that might be. <laughs> I mean, something on nothing there. <laughs> what that might be, we don't know. Uh, <laughs> so Angela runs off and and, uh, and goes home to discipline Mr. Ash there for humping Princess Lady and unfortunately forgets to turn off the webcam. This is getting weird. Is she cleaning the cat with her tongue? Oh. Has this been on the entire time? I have no idea. I was looking at pictures of food on my computer. Oh, sorry I'm late. <clears throat> I want to get that image out of my head. The psychological issues that go behind licking a cat are not things I want to go into. Also, I'm pretty sure she caused up a hairball. <laughs> So there you go, Kevin Crossman's official jumping the shark moment. Yes, indeed. I, I did like the line there from uh, from Kevin about, uh, I was looking at pictures of food. <laughs> On my computer. That's as best he can come up with. And this probably was true. If those porn filters are in place, that's the only thing exactly. you can look at. <laughs> oh, man. Well, maybe we like that plot line more than we think. Oh, it's still awful. <laughs> All right, well, there's a... We're, we're just a little punchy here on the recording. Yeah. After all this time. That's true. There are a couple of deleted scenes this week, Kevin. Nothing really brilliant, except we do get to see the return of the Finer Things Club, which I thought was a nice callback to an earlier season episode, and I uh, wish that would have been in the show. Let's take a listen. Stanley. Have you seen my saffron anywhere? No. No? Oh. I'm going to make my paella later. You know, I just love mixing exotic foods and spices. And Hi. I'm Andy. Hi, I'm Julia. Julia? That is like one of my favorite names of all time. Oh, God. Let's see. Roberts. Child. Andy. Louis Dreyfus. Why are you interrupting my meeting? Like I said, just looking for my saffron. You need to leave. Well, if you see my saffron... Goodbye. 
tell it I'm looking for it. People do crazy things for love, and I'm a person. I reprinted my vendor's list for parties. The list of birthdays, half-birthdays, minutes from past parties, and an enemies list. You're going to need it. If there's some cat stuff mixed in here, I'd appreciate you returning it to me. Of course. I wish you two the best of luck. Thank you. Angela, Dwight and I would like to say that we'd be honored if you would stay on as a member of the committee. And we think you could even run it and take care of everything and we would not get in your way. Well, that is a great idea. Nice try. It's your problem now. Run it? Coming in a little hot, are we? She responds to power. You know what? Why don't you start going through this? As you may know, I am no longer in a relationships. It's been really stressful here. So I decided to treat myself to one of God's most perfect creations, a beautiful new cat. It's tacky to talk about money, but she costs $7,000. For a rainy day. How could that not move you? Just because I didn't like the book doesn't mean I approve of the rape of Nan King. You know, the apathy is killing me, Toby. Hey, can I talk to you for a second? I'm kind of busy. No, we're done. You're being so dramatic. Hey, you're pretty good friends with Kelly, right? Uh, I'd say next to her. Right. What kind of party do you think she wants? We need a theme. Oh, my God. You guys are still on this? Yikes. 200,000 dead Chinese civilians is meh. But an office birthday party is yikes. Unfair and out of context. Jim, figure out what you'd like to have at your party and just do that. I was going to say that. And you didn't. Demolition Derby. Good. Done. Nope, not done. But thank you. That really helps. Oh, my God. I love this book. I love, 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 love this book. I don't know what to make of that creepy-ass little Dwight ending there on that scene, but I like that Oscar and and Toby are sitting there wearing those little silk Chinese hats (laughs) and eating their steamed uh, dumplings and everything, talking about their the rape of Nanking. Uh, This is a nice nice little visual bit. It's kind of nice to see those guys back in there again. We've mentioned it before, whether it was going to restart up when Pam returns. So, uh, unfortunately, she is out of the office. Yeah, good stuff there with them and uh, also, more creepy stuff with Kevin in that weird laugh. Uh, the best part in those deleted scenes was Angela's saying that she's not in any relationships anymore. That was very, very, very clever. Well, I like the, I still like the Dwight and, and Jim stuff in there, I think, the best with that. Yeah, you can even run it if you wanted to. We would just leave you alone. Right. <laughs> nice, uh, nice try, guys. Unfortunately, no dice. Whoa. Video iPod. I can write an iPod. I know this Russian website where you can download songs for two cents a piece. Okay, the iPod. iPod. Everyone wants the iPod. This is awesome. I know. Totally going to change the way I work out. The iPod. Maybe I should have taken the iPod. I want the iPod. Oh, shoot. Well, I can't even remember the last time we had a Jim's iPod segment on the show, Kevin, but uh, this week definitely deserves one. Uh, If you are a follower of Rain Wilson on Twitter or a frequent visitor to the Office Tally website, you may have gotten wind of this song this last week. I know I saw it first from Rain Wilson's tweet. So uh, two super fans, uh, crazy fans, I must say, Brad E. and Ashley G. 
decided that uh, the Ryan started the fire song from way back in the fire in season one just wasn't complete. They wanted to write out a whole song with full lyrics, and they did just that using pretty much every episode up until uh, the end of the one from last week, I think. Very, very contemporary uh, and very, very excellent. Very good job. Yeah, Jenna Fisher also promoted that video, and it's uh, great to listen to, and of course you can get that on YouTube as well. Yeah, and I think it's actually better to watch it on YouTube because they, they actually went to a lot of trouble to sync up a lot of the video clips to the song lines as they're being spoken to. So it's a very, uh, like I said, very, very good job by some crazy, crazy fans.
Fiji boss, CIA, gay doc, hate crime. Does the carpet match the drapes? Can you make a wooden stake? Second life, I was raped. Making near the quill tapes. Mexican lemonade, the world needs a new place. Falling into a lake of sand, breaking is a fake. Flying, falling the fire. Roast, get your body told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate. It's called the waste paper basket. <laughs> Twitter.com slash Rain Wilson. 
And you can also view the faux Kelly at twitter.com slash I am Kelly Fierce. Um, and that is supposedly, and, uh, though, being done by Mindy Kaling, so it is official, although it's being done in character. And yeah. I haven't bothered to subscribe to it myself, so I'm not sure exactly how active that she's being. Um, Jenna Fisher did make a very clear statement on her MySpace account this past week that no one else is active on Facebook or Twitter, so there are no real Jenna Fishers and no John Krasinski's or anybody else on Twitter right now, only Rain and uh, Mindy are. I just want to throw out a, a thank you to everyone on Twitter that gave me some good wishes for my cat who went through surgery this past week. So thanks, guys. Okay, next new episode is going to be at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central uh, on March 5th. And this is the fabled Blood Drive episode. Uh, Cupid's arrows fly in Scranton on Valentine's Day when Michael encounters an enigmatic lady at a blood drive. Meanwhile, a lonely hearts party at the office yields potential romances for Dwight and Kevin. And Pam and Jim share an uncomfortable lunch with Phyllis and Bob Vance. Um, you know, I gotta say that sounds interesting, but what the hell? Really, they could not put this in February. We got this as a two-parter, and then two weeks off with no new episodes. So they think they put a Valentine's Day themed episode in March. Well, the problem was, see, this is the problem with all that fake snow. They couldn't move it to March because it wouldn't be realistic. But we yeah, are... Valentine's Day. That's that's going to seem like old hat by March fifth, isn't it? Yeah, and especially since Scranton is really famous for its. St. Patrick's Day Parade. You know, they've never mm-hmm. done a St. Patrick's Day episode, and it just seems like such a natural, especially when they're skipping and, and putting it in March. seems like a wasted opportunity. But uh, then again, we don't have jobs at NBC as programmers and make a million dollars. So what do we know, Kevin? <laughs> All right. Well, that's about going to do it for us this time. Join us in about two weeks or so for episode 64, Blood Drive. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to TWSSpodcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at TWSSpodcast.com. If you have a chance, please leave positive feedback on iTunes and spread the word in the various The Office-related forums. Every little bit helps. Music for the episode is provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember to head on over to NBC.com slash The Office during the week for edit. For additional deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, and more. And for Kevin Crossman, I am Matt Summer, and we are way too tired, and we are out of here. it in there mm-hmm. she said and um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go on to the news segment here <laughs>